0: Welcome to Recon 2018. We are here with Terry Omeese out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Terry, quick introduction. Please. Sure,
1: Terry Omese, Cushman and Wakefield, uh, one third of the retail team. Uh, we do tenant rep, uh, landlord listing work, project leasing, grant ground up development, and a little bit of uh, capital investment sales. Okay, so, and how long have you been with them? Six years. And prior? And prior to that, (laughs) I'm a proud alumni of Phillips Edison and Pico University, where I learned how to merchandise and tend in a shopping center from Jim Farmer and Mike Conway. (laughs) There
0: we go, thank you. Well, good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us today. This Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Another year. I know we have been in the business about the same length of time. I think this is number thirteen for me. I think you're right. I'm so, a year behind you. Yeah. 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 So tell us what's happening in your world, and uh, I want to, the state of retail from Terry O'Meas.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I think the first thing to address is that Wall Street and every publication that's out there loves the phrase retail apocalypse and for all the different segments of commercial real estate where office has really rebounded strong and industrial is absolutely on fire and they cannot build enough product because of the Amazon effect and everyone shifting to online sales, Wall Street and a lot of publications interpret that as the demise of retail, which to ignore it is a lie and to just simply say I have an end cap with great visibility doesn't address it. Uh, There is definitely a challenge from online but it's really more about shifting a focus and who's growing and who's strong. I think the middle segment, the big box retailers that are middle priced, the Toys R Us's of the world, are where we're seeing the biggest harm and the most correction within a market. The discount players, the TJ Maxx's, the Ross Dress for Less of the world, they are commanding the real estate that they want um, and they're in high demand because those are the the stores that people are still going to to to, to shop physically and frequently. The high end and the luxury is also performing very strongly. Someone like a Phillips Edison still has a great presence of Grocery Anchored. And I think the Grocery Anchored shopping center is still going to be a strength because of the multiple visits and the internet-proof businesses that go in there.
0: The daily needs, the everyday... You got it. So yeah, you you touched on merchandising, and of course, you know we focus heavily on merchandising and right. Um, one of the the key components of our centers these days is food, right? Food is just it's hot. So you got I know it. you you love the foodie culture, and you are a restaurant guy. And I sometimes will text or call Terry to get advice on. Where to go and uh, what bars or restaurants or food trends out there. So, what, what's your favorite? What, what's your favorite thing that you're seeing out there? Sure, uh, food, food-wise.
1: Uh, I, I think you're definitely seeing the trend. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, that yeah, just yeah. means I can't cook. is why I eat out so <laughs> right. often. All right. <laughs> Me neither, and I don't want to learn. I'm um, a big Uber
0: Eats guy, by the way. I think I single-handedly am supporting
1: Uber Eats. Uber Eats, Eats is fantastic. But on, on that note, that's yeah. an interesting. I don't know what's public knowledge or whatnot, but. Uber, even though they're getting it to your door quickly, they're charging the fee for the delivery driver to come, but they're also taking a portion from the driver when they do that. They're also charging the restaurants, but you have to offer the same prices that are on your menu. So a lot of the restaurants are offering Uber Eats just to stay relevant and in the marketplace, but they're not making money off of it too. So there's gonna have to be some correction down the road when they figure out how to make sense of that, because they're selling it all at a discount just to make sure that Mike Conway can still get mac and cheese delivered to him in 10 minutes. Yes. But figure out how to make that profitable. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, we, it's funny. Yeah, we, we, Grubhub, I, I've noticed the difference, and yeah. in, in they, they upcharge you. You so got it's, it. It's, it's more expensive. DoorDash but,
1: as well. Yeah. Uber ultimately is going to have the biggest network and best platform for it, but I think there's still opportunity for some local guys out there. Um, to answer your question on what I'm seeing in the restaurant world, Obviously, shrinking square footages are a key, and I think the rise of fast casual, the Chipotle of fill in the blank, has been the biggest trend for all of us. Not only, there's a couple of reasons. On a landlord side, they're taking the premier trophy case spot within your shopping center, and preferably, if you can convert an out parcel to have the top visibility, they're gonna pay higher rents to go out there. The key for the restaurants of the world is where the Applebee's and the TGI Friday's and that model of your seven to 9,000 square foot standard at medium and accessible price points, it's so much more expensive for them to be successful because you have a building that's three to four times the size of a 2,500 foot end cap and the staff and the food costs to service these large menus, whereas what we're seeing across the board is that on average, I think it was baby boomers dined out one to one and a half times a week, uh, Gen X is two to two and a half, and Millennials are three to three and a half, and I think even that's understated when you add in lunches during the week. Um, there's more people dining out, but the food quality of the fast casuals is so much higher that you have that many options. You have to adapt. You asked me what something that's interesting. Um, I think it still comes down to operations and making yourself unique and desirable. Give yourself an interesting menu and an interesting palette. The restaurants never want to admit this, but I think there's a key to being Instagrammable. It's an event, it's an experience, and the way people dine out now is pictures or it didn't happen. So, if you can't Instagram yourself in That's front great. of the neon that sign Pictures that says- Pictures where
0: it didn't happen. I love that. It's true. Yeah, yeah, it is true.
1: And if you didn't get a picture of that avocado well, toast with your quinoa bowl, right. <laughs> then did you even really eat it or do your friends even care?
0: How, so I know you, yeah, I'm on Instagram and you are, it's how many, since all of, a lot of our buddies in the industry are here in Vegas, I right. mean just this morning I you know checked and I had uh, you know, 10, 15 different people posting their right, dinner yeah. from last night. Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
1: It's true, you know something on a minor level, I think this would be a good lesson for the non-nationals, for the locals out there that really want to come across as unique, because I'm sure you're seeing it in your world too. A lot of people don't want to dine at a quote unquote chain. And so you either have to come across as not a chain or give your diner a unique experience for why they should come into you. Uh, A minor dumb thing that I've seen but has great results is making your restrooms unique and almost like a work of art. And contract out with an artist. So in Cincinnati, there's a restaurant called Please, and there's a bar called Mecca. And each one has an individual and cool work of art bathroom stall. And guess how many people Instagram themselves in a restroom while they're at right, dinner? Right, right. And of course, everyone wants to be in the first month of opening. Awesome. I so love a it. client of mine, Aladdin's Eatery, opens an OTR on Thursday night. Well, they open to friends and family on Thursday night. And that's their first version of an urban build out with a bar. They've always served beer and wine, but they're actually gonna introduce Lebanese cocktails and have a bar downtown, and it's gonna be a unique experience. Where's that? Uh, 12th and Main Street, and uh, and over the Rhine neighborhood of Cincinnati. But there's someone who traditionally, they're Cleveland based, they are a Lebanese Mediterranean menu, and half their options are vegan and gluten friendly, Um, but traditionally in suburban strip centers often, and now this is their first entree into a true sort of emerging urban market. And they paid attention to how to design the space accordingly. Right,
0: Um, so I know Terry lives in an urban setting. You mentioned it, OTR over the Rhine in Cincinnati, Ohio. You travel a lot throughout the country. What do you, can you speak a little bit on the trend of um, urbanization?
1: Sure, Uh, I think every city is seeing a renaissance of their urban core. Cincinnati specifically is benefiting, though we'd like to say it was by design, it was more that there was an incredible building stock there that just went neglected for decades, and especially in our over-the-run neighborhood, which is all Italianette architecture. Movies constantly film there as a backdrop for New York in the 50s and 60s because a lot of the buildings look the same. Other cities like Columbus or in Indianapolis that are more kind of grid system based, Um, Some of them don't have the older building stock, but are creating those spaces in unique venues where you're converting an old auto garage into a game and bar restaurant sort of scenario. Um, I think what's really cool, our head of research out of Sacramento, Garrick Brown, does a focus called Cool Streets, where he finds the coolest, most emerging neighborhoods and zeroes in on the couple of blocks of what restaurants and retailers are doing. So I see a couple of things. One is the restaurants are key, they're more locally based, they're smaller square footages because when you have a neighborhood where people might have been afraid to come there or didn't think to come there in the past, you want a small footprint so it's full and there's a wait to get in there and there's a buzz about why you come. What we're seeing follow that is the clicks-to-bricks model where you're seeing the online retailers follow the restaurants, so the Bonobos, the Warby Parkers of the world they are foregoing some of the traditional mall locations to come into these hip, urban settings. So, um, I'm gonna blank on the name now, but the uh, the Art District in Miami, where it's all industrial flex buildings, uh, you're seeing Marine Layer and Warby Parker uh, and and all these cool retailers mix in with otherwise what were industrial buildings. And fill in there, and we're you know, seeing it across the board.
0: Just just today, you know, the first day of recon here, I've had a handful of meetings, and I can already tell I'm getting the sense that the traditional national tenants are starting to follow into the urban core. That that's that's a that's an interesting takeaway that I don't remember hearing about in years past.
1: Here's a key why. Like think of bonobos, who started as better fitting khaki pants years ago and has now grown into a higher-end online men's retailer. Their guide shops are only roughly a thousand feet when they go into a city. And they carry one of each item in a size. But you're not walking out of that store with a bag. They're shipping it to you 24, or 48 hours later. The key there is you're not going to the mall to do your shopping on a Sunday when you need clothes. You're stopping in for an hour while you're killing time waiting on your table at the new restaurant. There you go. And you're there, really the decision maker might be your spouse or your significant other weighing in and saying, that looks good, buy that. But when and how you're shopping is a completely different mindset and the retailers are adapting to that.
0: We can wrap up here, but uh, any other just general trends that you're seeing out there? I mean, I know, what about sure. the, the food hall, the beer, we, we've talked a lot, is that played sure. out yet or not?
1: The food hall, it's, it's not played out because a lot of cities don't have them. Cincinnati is an example. We don't have a traditional food hall yet, though we have a lot of operators kind of circling and, and nibbling around and looking. The food hall is a wide definition of what that means. So something like Chelsea Market is 165,000 square feet. And then a couple of blocks away, the Gansevoort Market is eight or 10,000 square feet. So there's a wide variety of that. So I think of small Mongolian in Pittsburgh, which is roughly around eight to 10,000 square feet with four operators and at most an 18-month commitment before they turn over. The key there is where are they locating? because they really need the daytime population. And there are a lot of developers who want them for the cool factor. Um, I just saw that the Cosmopolitan Hotel around the restaurants announced a food hall that they're building out right now. So they're going to go into casinos. They're going to go into lifestyle developments. It's going to be a wide definition of what that is. I don't think it's played out, but it's going to be a question of who those successful operators are and on what level. And I think the key for the mid-sized cities, the gateway cities, there's going to be plenty of opportunity. The Chicago's, Los Angeles, you know, Brooklyn and Williamsburg, the Cincinnati's, the St. Louis's, the Pittsburgh, those mid-sized, especially Midwest cities, the key is going to be a cool enough neighborhood but with enough of the daytime population because the bar and the dinner is going to be well-serviced. That's going to be there. But even those guys program and have yoga events and reasons to come in. But where do they find that right mix? I think we still see growth for another two years and then we'll see.
0: Terry is an absolute expert. Is there anything else that you want
1: to... I'm just trying to convince everyone (laughs) I am.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about projects that you're working on? Anything you want to get out there?
1: Yeah, Uh, in Cincinnati, we're uh, really happy to work with Capital Investment Partners. Uh, They just announced a $90 million development across from Kenwood Town Center, General Growth's premier mall, where Louis Vuitton and Tiffany's are locating with Nordstrom already. We have a mixed-use development with 25,000 feet of retail restaurant space. 290 apartments, 150,000 square feet of office headquarters, and 150 key hotel in between the movie theater and Jewish Hospital. Um, It's gonna really, it's the top retail market in Cincinnati. It's the newest development to come along in a market where space is at a premium. Uh, It's really exciting to see some of the restaurants we're talking to, and I really think it'll be exciting. Absolutely, thank you, Mike. All right,
0: all right to you, thanks. Always fun, See appreciate it, buddy.